Lord, you have provided us breath to sing to you. You've provided us minds to understand and comprehend. And so I ask that you would give us comprehension today. I pray that your word would do as you see fit, that it would go forth, and that you would build your church until the whole earth sings your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Big surprise there. Um, <laughs> so, one of the joys of being conformed to going through the text as, as it was inspired is that there's so many things that I would never in a million years choose as a sermon topic. Today is one of those sermon topics that I never in a million years would choose, uh, predominantly because I've heard it a million times. Uh, we're we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30, and I once had a pastor um, explain to me that this is the five-minute youth message, that if you're ever standing before youth, just read this text and spend less than five minutes explaining it. Because Jesus is pretty explicit, he's pretty clear, he gives a really nice example that's quite graphic uh, of, of what it means, so you don't even have to explain it. So, like I said, this would be one of those topics that I would typically want to avoid, um, not only because I've heard it a million times, but because it's also awkward. Um, and, uh, Believe it or not, I try and avoid awkward things all the time. I just tend to create awkward. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and read our text for today. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell, or uh, go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, just like last week, Jesus gives us one of these, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Uh, scholars call these the antitheses, which I think is a really fun way of saying it, meaning that, that, that he's contrasting. But he's not annulling, he's not nullifying, he's not voiding the original uh, interpretation, but instead he's trying to help us understand, or help his hearers understand, and we're his hearers, that the um, purpose of these laws is not simply in the letter. The purpose runs much deeper than that. Uh, last week we discussed the sixth commandment, which is you shall not commit murder. And what I love about the sixth commandment is you, you go through the, the sixth, seventh, and eighth commandments, and they're all like one sentence. So they're really easy to remember. The ones before that, eh, kind of lengthy. Like I can summarize it. Like the, the men's restroom has a picture 
that summarizes the Ten Commandments, but, but uh, first through fifth have more words than just, you shall not. Uh, but, but you come to the sixth, you shall not murder. Oh, <laughs> I am good at that one. I'm good at not murdering. I haven't murdered anyone yet. <laughs> I'm good at that one. But Jesus tells us that actually that is a flat, narrow interpretation. It's not just you shall not murder, because if you get angry with someone, then you've committed murder in your heart. So then Jesus goes on to the seventh commandment. So he goes to the sixth commandment, then the seventh commandment, and he gives us, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, good, I haven't done that one yet. Uh, and adultery is defined quite, quite literally as being married, but sleeping with someone who's not your wife or husband. So adultery, uh, when God said in, in Exodus 20.14, so that's actually this statement, you shall not commit adultery. Exodus 20.14 and Deuteronomy 5.18, you shall not commit adultery. That's, that's, that's true. You shall not commit adultery. But Jesus runs much deeper than that. He says that just, just looking at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And Jesus is talking to a mixed audience. He's talking to men and women. He's talking to married and unmarried. But he's condemning, or not condemning, he's saying that, that looking at somebody with lustful intent is already condemning. You've already committed adultery. And that is two and a half minutes of the five-minute youth message. Um, but, but with... with, uh, with adultery, when Jesus is trying to expand his hearer's understanding of it, he's trying to, he's trying to make, it, make it clear that adultery is not just engaging in, in, in sexual activity outside of marriage. It's, it, it actually mirrors something far more disastrous. Uh, as one commentator put it, um, he, this commentator writes, adultery is a forsaking of promises made in the presence of God, and in that way, a turning away from God himself. That's why adultery condemns. So keep that in your mind. To commit adultery is to say, God, I promised to be in a marital covenant with this person before you, but uh, it's not enough. And therefore, I'm going to seek after someone else. So it's a walking away from the Lord, and it's a serious offense. And in Jewish law, to commit adultery was actually typically viewed like we, we all have these boxes that we put crimes into, right? Um, ah, littering ain't that bad. You know, the wind will blow it away. It'll take care of it for me. Or someone else will see this receipt blown, and I'm going to throw it in there. That's a little crime. Um, or we, we, we think about crimes in terms of maybe their effect, right? Um, which is a good thing to, good, good thing to do, like... Speeding is not nearly as bad in terms of effect as a car accident. <laughs> maybe the speeding leads to the car accident, but, 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 or maybe somebody just backs up out of a, without looking. But regardless, the, the, we, we, we think in terms of, of grand-scale effect. And in Jewish law, adultery was viewed... Um, not in terms of violating a covenant with the Lord, not in terms of, 
of even like defaming someone else or, 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 or murdering a relationship. It wasn't thought of in terms of that. It was actually just thought of in terms of theft. It was a form of stealing. And it, it, was, a greater, it was greater than stealing somebody's candy bar. But uh, in fact, the, the fine that you paid was with your life. So uh, Leviticus 20.10, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And again, in Deuteronomy 22.22, 22, which is easy to remember, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. But in terms of scale of effect, it was treated, again, more like theft than anything else. So it wasn't that bad, but you just had to kill the person. So you could get away with it, and it's fine, um, but it's not really fine. And so Jesus is trying to, trying to say, in, a, in an incredibly graphic way, that adultery also is, is contained within the sin of lust. He's saying that there's... That it's not just about committing adultery, guys. It's about moral purity. So most of us are married. And by Jesus' standard, all of us have committed adultery. We men have absolutely looked on women with lustful intent. Uh, and, and you women have, have absolutely looked on other men with lustful intent. Maybe it wasn't because of their physique. Maybe it was because they were kinder than your, than your husband. Maybe it was because they were, uh, maybe, maybe you're not married and you've looked on somebody and gone, they would make a great husband. And then your mind starts to churn and you know, things happen. Regardless, all of us are adulterers by Jesus' standard. Every last one of us. You have committed adultery. So where's the hope in that? Well, Jesus in our text actually doesn't give us hope. <laughs> Instead, he gives us a command. He gives us a mandate. Um, so so let's, let's reread, uh, starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, let's pause there. Right eye. What does right eye mean? Is it, is it that all of our right eyes is better than our left? Actually, my left eye is better. If I take off my glasses and I close my right eye, I can actually make out, uh, I can't make out what Lisa's mask is, but I, I, can, I can see a symbol on, on your shirt. I can't tell if it's a boat or a bear, but it's better than if I do this where it's a blob. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says right eye and he says right hand, he, he means the stronger of the, of the two. Uh, being at the right hand of something was better than being at the left hand of something. And the right eye just means the good or the strong eye. What Jesus is trying to paint a picture of is actually um, intention. So when he says when your right eye causes you to sin... He's not talking about a wandering glance. He's talking about a gazing, a, 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 a stare, a watch. He's talking about the person 
who is at the beach and stares at the lady that's wearing not much clothing uh, for too long, intentionally. He's not talking about the person that's walking on the beach staring at the sand and, uh, and a lady runs past and all of a sudden you see skin and you're like, hello, what just happened? Who ran in front of me? What's going on? A good example would be uh, billboards. Um, so uh, we don't have many billboards out here. I mean, we do when you're on Highway 101. But, but we don't have many billboards that have necessarily raunchy images on them. But, uh, but man, when I was in Chicago, <laughs> there was an advertising campaign, and I can't remember what the campaign was for. But the, on, on billboards, city buses, trains, inside trains and city buses, uh, there, there were pictures of women that were not dressed much. Uh, and, and I can happily, happily say I don't remember what the advertising campaign was for. It was actually because of this advertising campaign that I started taking a bus and a train that was above ground so I wouldn't lose cell service. <laughs> um, so I could keep looking at Facebook and doing whatever. Um, but but it, it, man, it was everywhere. No matter where you went, there were there were there were, there was potentially pornographic material just there. And that's not just a Chicago thing. I mean, that's a city thing. You can run into the same thing probably going up to Portland if there's an advertising campaign like that. But what Jesus is saying when he says, "If your right eye causes you to sin," he mean he means when you see those billboards and you gaze and you stare, and you look. And typically, the, the, the intention is that you're looking and you're trying to internalize it, maybe commit it to memory, maybe try to, try, try to turn it into an imaginary thing later. But that's what it means to have your right eye cause you to sin. It's when you look on something and intend for it to stay inside. As opposed to... Um, Actually, there's, there's a really funny story of a buddy of mine that I'm, I'll, I'll tell another time. But, but uh, as opposed to when you're flipping through a magazine and there's an image and you're like, nope, and you just keep going. Or when you're scrolling through Facebook and there's an image and you're like, nope, and you just keep going. That can get burned into your retina in a different way, but much different than when you gaze longingly. Or in our culture, when you watch a TV show too much that has too much stuff. So Jesus tells us, if your right eye causes you to sin, a, a direct translation of that would be it causes you to stumble. When it causes you to start, start really get, getting irked about it. You guys ever had that? Where you see something that causes you to keep stumbling over it? It's like when you have a, a portion of your carpet that's like pushed together and it's a bump and you trip over it every time you go in the house and you never step to stamp it down. Or when you stamp it down, it pops back up. Ever have that happen with a rug? It's maddening. So, <laughs> but, but that's what Jesus means when he says, if your right eye is causing you to stumble, man, if it's that bump in the carpet and you just keep going back to it and it's causing you to sin, what's the command? What's the mandate? It says, tear it out. Gouge it out. Throw it away. Think of the graphic image of that. It's like taking a fork and just and throwing your eyeball away. Um, I could make that really graphic, and I'm not going to. <laughs> but, but just the thought of it is just terrifying. 
I can't think of much more, a much scarier thing than falling toward a sharp object and watching it come towards my eye. And Jesus says that if your right eye is causing you to sin, if your gaze is causing you to sin, it's better to be blind than to keep diving into it unrepentantly and be thrown into hell and suffer God's judgment. Now, that particular phrase has actually uh, driven some church fathers, uh, specifically Origen, if you know who Origen is, but uh, church fathers to actually castrate themselves. I do not think Jesus is calling us to physically gouge out our eyes or cut off portions of our body. I don't think that's what he means. There's other applications we'll talk about, but, but, but that's not where Jesus is going. <laughs> um, the right hand, same, same general mentality, but it's interesting that Jesus goes from the eyes to the hands. Because looking at something is different than taking something. And you use your hands to take. So Jesus is painting this image for us. He's saying, if your right eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. But if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. There's hope in that, believe it or not, besides uh, the general chainsaw mishap that makes you lose a hand. Um, there's great hope in it. You can repent. You can repent not just twice, or not just once, but twice. You can repent not just when you're looking at something with a, with, with a desire to have it, but you can repent as you're, you're taking action to get it. If we understand what Jesus is saying, if we really get what Jesus is telling us, he's saying, with, when you're looking with lustful intent, look away. If you're acting on your lustful intent, stop it. And we can also understand that lusting is not just sexual. Lusting is not just for, for opposite gender enjoyment. And actually, now that I say that out loud, that can be taken weird ways in our culture. But you know what I mean. The <laughs> but, but we can lust, we can, we can covet our neighbor's lawnmower, and we can covet our friend's great cell phone that's better than us, or better cell phone service, we can covet after things. We can look with lust at what somebody else has that's better than ours. And we can, we can fight that temptation. And if you start to complain and whine that your neighbor has a better lawnmower, better cell phone, better data service, better internet, whatever it is, if you, if, if a better car, if you start to complain about it, if you start to take action toward the acting on that lustful intent, you can repent of that too. That is good news. Good news that just because you fail in your, in your fighting temptation doesn't mean that you can't repent. All of us have failed, against, failed the battle against temptation. And that's why, honestly, this text is a little hopeless. There's not much in it in terms of feeling good. You, you, your eyes or your hands cause you to sin, chop them off, gouge them out, get rid of them. I've seen some great applications of this text in my time from, from friends installing covenant eyes. Do you know what covenant eyes is? You ever heard that? 
Covenant Eyes is a program you can install on your phone or your computer that filters out pornographic content or mildly pornographic content, but those, those blocks have, have limitations uh, that are kind of funny. Um, or or uh, a f another friend of mine installed Disney's Circle, which is another form of web filtering content because honestly, the web is the most easy access to things to look on with lust. Oh, and I forgot to mention this. To look on something with lust is to objectify it. It's to demean its personhood. To look on another human being and think thoughts of, 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 of sexual enjoyment is to look at it and think of it as just an object for your own personal uh, pleasurable fulfillment. It demeans the other person. It says, you are nothing more than a tool for me to enjoy. So I've seen some great applications of this. Um, Covenant Eyes, Disney Circle, those are prescriptions of the text. I even had a buddy that canceled his internet because he, he just had a long-standing habit that he could not kick in terms of, of just constantly desiring looking at things that are inappropriate online. And so he canceled his internet. But then he needed the internet for work and he got back on it and he installed Covenant Eyes and he struggled and wrestled with this particular sin for, for a long time. And he, uh, the, the big tell for him was when he stopped talking about it, you know he was given in. And it was really hard to see. Even though he took this text literally and, and tried to apply it to his life, the hold that that lust had in his heart was greater than he could break. But the one thing he was missing, the one thing he didn't understand, was why repent? Why? Jesus prescribes repentance, but he doesn't tell us why here. Friends, Jesus paints here a picture of an immense treasure. He gives us a great value without actually telling us here of its value. Uh, Paul, in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, Writes, writes to the church in Philippi to be obedient uh, in his absence in as much as his own presence. Um, so he's writing a personal great letter, but he gives this, this great uh, statement that sometimes we miss out on the actual purpose of. Paul says that you Christians, you Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for... How many of you guys have heard, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Work out. Salvation is your work. You do it. Cut off your hands, gouge out your eyes. That's what saves you. No. No, no, no. Instead, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Friends, we obey God's commands to repent. We recognize the depth of, of depravity in our lustful eyes and our lustful actions, and we want them gone. Why? Because God is working in you. One reason. God is working in you, and that's why you repent. To flip that around, um, who are we that God would work in us? 
Do I have a level of self-importance that says, well, of course God would work in me? Hopefully not. Hopefully not any of you, but I'll confess that has been my attitude before. Well, of course God would want me. I'm so valuable to God's kingdom. I'm awesome. Why wouldn't God want to save me? But in reality, I'm nothing. Who am I that God would want to do anything to make me more like his son? I'm a nobody. Why repent? Because God's working in you for his good pleasure. He takes pleasure in working in you. He takes pleasure in you seeing your sinfulness. He takes pleasure in your repentance. He delights in it. God, the king of the universe, takes pleasure in working in you. If he takes pleasure in it, if he takes pleasure in, in, in helping you recognize your sinfulness, imagine what incredible joy we have when we repent of our sins. In saying, sin, you know what? You may be pleasurable here, but God is pleasurable even more. And God will be pleasurable forevermore. But sin, you are only a temporary enjoyment. What freedom that is. Free from, from, from that bondage, that chaining, that shackling to constantly diving into the exact same thing over and over and over again like my buddy. To recognize that Jesus is, is a glorious treasure. And that he loves us enough to work in us. Why? Why repent? Because we're the ones that broke God's creation. We're the ones that break his commandments. We're the ones who commit adultery in our hearts and are told that we got to gouge out our eyes and, and cut off our hands. We don't deserve his mercy, period. And yet, instead of us having to physically gouge out our eyes and physically cut off our hands, Jesus was physically pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed because of our sin. He took the punishment. So when we read that part that says, better to lose a part of your body than be thrown into hell, we can look, in that, we can look at that and with, with absolute gratitude say, you know what? I don't need to fear that. I don't need to suffer that particular end. Therefore, I repent. Don't just stop on the, well, I don't have to feel it, so great news. But, but repent. You repent. We repent of our sin, our adulterous lust. We, we, we metaphorically gouge out our eyes from looking at semi or even blatantly pornographic material. We cut off our hands and, and throw away our ability to engage in material that debases and diminishes the value of a person. We repent from committing adultery from either our own spouse, our own future spouse, or, as that commentator said, from destroying our relationship with God by letting lustful material or objectifying of, of women or men from becoming our idol, from becoming our God. Because that's ultimately what happens. If we give in to our lust, our own pleasure becomes a God, and that God is a false God, and that God cannot satisfy like Jesus. He does not satisfy like Jesus. We repent of our sin out of gratitude of God working in us 
Let's, let's pray. Lord, boy, you have continued to beat into me these last couple weeks some things to be sorrowful for, but, but honest, or sorrowful for. But Lord, godly sorrow brings repentance. Godly sorrow, sorrow over, over the truthfulness of my sinfulness and the truthfulness of your holiness and the truthfulness of your sweetness and your goodness and your mercifulness and your graciousness. That's, that's so much better. That's so, so incredible. Lord, who am I that you would work in me? I'm, 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 I'm nobody, and yet you, you chose me. You continue to work in me. You continue to bring me to, to my knees in repentance. And Lord, I pray for, for the people here that, 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 that we all would get a sense of, of our own need and desire to be satisfied and that that need and desire can only be truly found in you. Give us the strength, O oh God, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not fear from condemnation, but in fear of our own, our own sinfulness and trembling in awe of you. Work in us both to your will and your good pleasure, O oh God. Give us repentance from our lust. In Jesus' name, amen. We repent because there's beauty and satisfaction. Being satisfied in your spouse, being satisfied in your singleness, but most of all, being satisfied in your God. Uh, my wife loves to know that I'm satisfied with her. She loves to know, especially on the days when I'm a grouch or when our kids are crazy, which, I mean, trust me, that some of those overlap, uh, but that I'm not going to run off. Um, she needs that reassurance. But I also personally need that reassurance that I am going to stay strong and I love my bride and I want to treat her with the utmost respect and and, and I, I need that re reassurance to know my love. And when I resist uh, lustful thoughts, when I resist gazing longingly at, at things that, that could deaden my marriage, I need that. The life of a Christian is a constant battle. It's a constant battle against your old selves, your internal old selves. So... Keep cutting off the appendages or members of your flesh which cause you to sin. Not physically. Please don't come to church next week missing a hand. Please. Just, I'd feel bad. But, uh, but continue to cut those things off and remind yourselves of the wonderful covenant that Jesus purchased with his own blood, his own physical suffering for you. Let that joy bring you to repentance.